Hello and welcome to the Ahead of the Curve podcast with me, Ed Wooten, and my colleague, Steve Wake, where I, the layman, will be speaking to Steve and some other legal professionals. Um, this week we're talking about leasehold um, and what it means for people. So obviously there's been a big kind of discussion in the media and everything about leasehold and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It seems generally that it's a, it's a bad thing from what I've been reading. Yeah, there's lots of onerous terms, I think, is, is something that people are getting a bit um, argumentative about. Um, and it's becoming sort of a consumer issue. Mm. And it's widely reported. Lots, of, you know, There was a, a programme on Radio 4 um, uh, about it. So, yeah, it's really um, the time to be talking about it. Yeah, and I think the government's trying to, or been trying to do something about it for a while now. Um, and it's just about whether they can sort it. So... We spoke to um, a couple of people from our residential property team, um, Peter Foskett, who's a partner, uh, and Sarah Taylor, who's a senior associate. So uh, let's see how that got on. So at the moment, leaseholders are very much on the political agenda. The Law Commission for their 13th programme of law reform have been looking specifically at enfranchisement, common hold, and the right to manage. And I think the general view is that the leasehold system as it's currently um, created is quite in favour of the freeholders. Leases, when they drop below a certain period, they need to be extended. So below 80 years, there's a higher value for extending them. The freeholder obviously gets the benefit of that. There are the onerous ground rent clauses for some of the newer developments. And then service charge, whilst there are a system of checks and balances for service charge in terms of you can challenge the reasonableness of it in the first tier tribunal, they can often be quite excessive. And the issue with that is Yes, you can challenge it, but it's all the hassle of having to do that. And it's questioning what leaseholders are sometimes paying for in their services. Okay. So, or how is the government proposing we get beyond that issue, I suppose? Well, yeah. I I mean, I I think before I start, there's a real big problem. Or there's two solutions. One is going forwards. Yeah. Yeah, going forwards, probably a lot easier to change the law. Going backwards... Yeah, that's a real difficult problem as you know, all these uh, interests have been created, rightly or wrongly, uh, people have bought these ground rents and they've, they've invested money in this. Um, and the uh, House of Commons committee highlighted the fact that if you start reforming the existing situation, you are going to have to pay compensation. And that's going to be unpalatable. Uh, as whose money are you using? At probably the end of the day, taxpayers' money to write a situation which really should never have arisen. Um, so that, you know, that, that that's a problem in, in its own way as well. Yeah, going forwards, yeah, I, I find it frustrating that we get quite a lot of talk, but there's no actual action from the government at the moment. And I think there are some quick wins which we might explore later. Um, scandal of the leasehold houses that we've heard in the press recently you'd expect if you're purchasing a a house it's entirely yours yet you've got all of these people particularly in the the north of England who not only have leasehold interests rather than freehold interests in their houses but hugely onerous ground rent doubling ground rent clauses going forwards and the developers have sold the freehold on so again where where would the compensation come from there's a lack of willingness to sort it out because there are people who are benefiting quite handsomely from the ground rent. And I think there's a real risk of a double whammy for those leaseholders who own a property at the moment who've got uh, substantial rents to pay. 
if the government then changed the market, so all of a sudden we have we have all these leasehold houses or even common hold houses uh, which don't have these onerous provisions, not only are you going to have a house with a big rent coming out of it, but nobody's going to want to buy it from you because there's a much shiny, nicer thing to buy instead of it. So that is the real dilemma for the government. How do you change the future? How do you change the past? And how do you make sure you don't actually make it even worse for the people who are in a bad position already? Also, with leasehold, in itself, it's not a bad thing. So there are lots no. of negatives, but that's because it's been taken and essentially exploited. If you've got a group of flats within a block, you need some mechanism to have the overall control, hence the freeholder controlling it. And then the leaseholders live in each individual block, but there are common parts and hence the service charge payment there. Question the need for the ground rent, but for the service charge and that side of things, it's it's a necessary for the um for the situation to run smoothly essentially. But I think it's just been taken advantage of. But the people who are stuck in the kind of leasehold now, is there any way out of a leasehold that's sensible at all? They they can collectively enfranchise, which means that all of the leaseholders club together to purchase a freehold. Right. So they suddenly then have control over the freehold and it's normally a company who would hold that freehold. Um, there are advantages of that. There are a number of issues as well. So it has to be over 50% of qualifying leaseholders. So if you've got a very large block, so you've got 90 flats, the practicalities of getting over 45 people involved is quite tricky, particularly as there are often a lot of buy-to-let um, owners there as well um, and the process can be really costly as well because you need to effectively reimburse the freeholder for the amount of revenue that they're going to lose by virtue of the ground rents and also um, the freehold interest so the premiums depending on where the location is can be huge and then the under the legislation the leaseholders need to pay their own legal costs but also the freeholders reasonable legal costs so all of those things together can make it really pricey. Mm. Um, the advantage of it is they are then able to either manage the freehold themselves or engage the services of a management company. Sometimes they may engage the services of a management company who was carrying out the management previously, but just have a direct contract with them. And they've got the ability to make their own decisions so they can decide what maintenance needs to be done rather than it simply being the freeholder saying, right, we think you need a new roof or we think you need this, that or the other. And that generally leads to a bit more openness, doesn't it? Because I know there are circumstances where the insurance was going up and up and up mm -hmm. with that, but there's no evidence supplied to uh, the, the tenants or the, the freeholders. Yeah. And interestingly, as an aside, it can create a greater sense of community as well within some of these blocks because you often have situations where neighbours have never ever spoken to each other. And actually, by going through the collective enfranchisement process, yeah. it means people get to know each other and it changes the, the place to live for in a really positive way. So it's got quite a nice side effect yeah. on occasion. I've found that too, we've got a block of flats in um, Lark Hall. And as soon as they, you know, there was a, an issue with the roof, and it, everybody's it cost a hundred thousand pounds to yeah. do all these roofs, and then but suddenly there's a group, and we all met in the pub, and it was, it was lovely, oh, and great. it's carried on with these. Yeah. You're right. So, is that common hold? Is that separate? Is that different? How does that? How does this work? This it was introduced by the um, common hold. 
can't remember the oh, name. I, I was say 2004. It was a 2002 act that was implemented in 2004. I can't remember the name of the act. What was it? Um, the, the Common Holder and Leasehold Reform Act 2002 came in. And the idea was that Common Hold would become a much um, more familiar way of holding the sort of main interest of the common parts, essentially. I think since 2002, there have been 20 common holds. So it really hasn't caught on. Can I just say that Willie King definitely created one. So we are one of that 20. In the whole country. Yes, in the whole country. (laughs) So if you come across a solicitor who dealt with common hold, they are like the Holy Grail, and you just want to kind of find out what happened. Um, Common hold, I think, is a brilliant idea. So the idea is that each... What's now a leasehold would be a unit owner, so each would own their units, their flats, and would all be part of the Common Hold Association. Um, I think the legislation perhaps had some gaps in it. So some of the proposals in the recent consultations is that the Common Hold Association kind of articles of association would actually be prescribed by the government. So there would be a lot more regulation around them so you wouldn't hopefully have the same issue of unscrupulous individuals trying to cash in on the situation because you have to follow the prescribed articles um there are a number of issues as well what happens if a common hold association became insolvent would the common hold interest then invest bonavacantia does that mean that the unit owners would then have to buy it again from the crown so it's, it still requires a lot more thought, but it gives the unit owners a lot more autonomy because when the um, block was built, for example, the intention would be that they would all own a share of what's now known as freehold rather than it being um, something they had to acquire at a later date or that they acquired in a slightly different way. And I think probably one of the things to say is, is the idea of common hold, we are stealing actually from other countries. Australia do it. I, I don't know how. I've, I've never looked into it. But Sarah's quite right. What the government, what we have, what the government is proposing, as you like, common hold too, uh, needs improving, but other people can make it work. So, you know, with, with a bit of impetus, and um, there's no reason why it couldn't be introduced. Um, I, th- I think what we learn from it coming into force in 2004 is the government is going to have to enforce it. I think before, um, naively, although I'm sure in good faith, the government thought the property industry would pick up, come and hold on the basis that it probably would encourage buyers. So say to them, for the advantages which Sarah has been outlining, people would want to buy a common hold over a leasehold and I think the government thought it would, it would happen. It didn't happen, and I think to make it happen now will require that that uh, force of law rather than leaving it to the market to decide whether it wants to use it or not. I'm, not, I'm assuming that that act wasn't something that was um, sort of the impetus behind the majority of the house builders pursuing these aggressive tactics. Because it, no. it's only really come to the news recently, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So... I mean, that, that piece of legislation, I think, had it had great potential and for every reason it wasn't followed through um, because I think it was a fear of change in part, um, like mm. you, like Peter said as well, with regards to the ability to sell on a freehold title because the difference with common hold is that each unit owner owns the freehold of their block, sorry, of their individual unit, and then the common hold overall is owned by all of the unit owners. So whereas at the moment you have a situation where each individual unit owner has a leasehold and then they all collectively own 
the freehold. Yeah. The freehold is effectively divvied up. Um, the Law Commission with their recent consultation very much looked at other common law countries rather than civil code countries, just as a comparison. So like Peter says of Australia, the, the strata, condominium, that type of, of arrangement. So it has been done in a lot of other countries. Um, but with regards to the 2002 Act, I think perhaps it didn't codify the transaction enough. So it didn't deal with, for example, the way the companies would be set up and, and that type thing. Hmm. I, I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of us looked at it and went, leasehold does all this. You know, why are we creating a whole new system when actually we've got something that works well? I, I mean, the, the real, and, and that, to be honest, is how I came into this debate. I got on my Twitter feed all these comments about leasehold, leasehold scandal, getting rid of leasehold. And I started really in defence of leasehold because, used correctly, it is a good system. The point is, and I very quickly came to realise from the Twitter feed, it has been misused so much that I think we've reached the point now where it is a case of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I, I don't think we can salvage the situation in the residential housing market we need to move to something different. And, and I think that's a great shame, but I, that's a conclusion I have come to. The reputational damage is almost too great now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, I was reading one opinion online somewhere that said that um, basically the only problem they saw with leaseholders was um, that when uh, basically leaseholders are trying to, or are trying to be kicked out by landlords, um, the amount of procedural hoops that they describe it as that landlords have to go through mean that leaseholders ended up with significant legal bills at the end. So actually what they were suggesting was um, instead of getting rid of leasehold entirely and going towards common hold, it's looking at the government's reforms of trying to set a set process and have a tribunal system and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's a viable way forward? I, I, I mean... One of the biggest concerns I have with, 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 with well, the Twitter feed had uh, abolish, not polish. Mm -hmm. Everybody talking about yeah, polishing. Yeah, 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 I, exactly. I like that phrase. Um, it, it's just all the same. Well, it's the uncertainty in the costs. I, I mean, I struggle to understand why to extend your lease isn't a mathematical formula. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, we know what rent you're paying. We know um, how many years you've got left on your lease, we don't know how many years you're going to extend it by. Why, why is that not mathematical? Okay, you throw there where it depends on market rates, what, what, what's, but yeah, to my mind, it, it needs to be mathematical if we're going to polish, because the situation at the moment is you end up having to employ a surveyor, the, the, the freeholders employing a surveyor, they have an argument amongst each other. The poor old leaseholder picks up the costs of the two of them having that argument, um, and that's unfair. I, I mean, I think if you are going to polish, then it should be a case of the freeholder pays his surveyor. He doesn't get the leaseholder to pay his surveyor as well as his own. And then we're starting to get a bit more of an equal playing field. Right. Um, so I think that, that that's one thing which should be necessary. Um, but, but yeah, it's these costs, I think, just make it really unfair on the leaseholder. Um, yeah, I guess the freeholder's counter to that would be, well, I didn't want to sell... Or ex mm. didn't, you know, didn't want a lease extension. I didn't want to be lumbered in this situation. I'm having to incur costs due to the leaseholder, no. so therefore I should be compensated. No. Not necessarily agree with that, but I think that would be the freehold oh, yeah. argument. That would be argument back.
to, to say, well, don't grant a leasehold in the first place if you don't want these <laughs> <Yeah>. costs. <laughs> the law gives you an opt-out. Uh, no, that's right. But I mean, yeah, at the moment, it's you know, it's un it's an un unbalanced playing field, uh, and I think tinkering. I don't see tinkering getting rid of that and bringing back a fair balance. Have, um, have we contributed? Has the solicitor's profession contributed to that at all? That dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say we, we've complied with the legislation, yeah. so we have charged a reasonable sum for our services. It's a complicated process, and where we're acting for freeholders, we've had our fees paid for. Where we're acting for leaseholders, we've just had to warn the leaseholders that they've got to pay the freeholders' fees as well. Yeah. A slightly different answer to your question in terms of acting for clients who are building and selling houses very much as a firm we have not acted for developers who are imposing at long um, or high rents the only time we are using leasehold is where it's required because of the structure um, over going over each other so by law we need positive governments running on leasehold but we haven't imposed onerous rents we've had notional rents respecting how these are supposed to work and that's what the clients want as well presumably the, the house building clients that, yeah they, that, that's certainly ours yeah, yeah. They, they, they're not looking for this second bite they're they're looking to build sell move on and, and the structure that makes that work and fair and marketable mm-hmm. we've advised clients so where they are selling a freehold on they have to um give the leaseholders a right of first refusal so we're always very clear with clients about that so that they know that they're complying with the legislation. We have some situations where free leaseholders come to us and they haven't been offered the right of first refusal, which has severe penalties as well to the free original freeholder. Because sometimes they're not even told until no. it's they get a letter. Yes. We've sold it on. Yes. Fifty Whereas, quid yeah. for, you know, changing your door or something. Yeah. Whereas they should have had the ability to purchase it. And, and this is one of the things which the House of Commons Committee has picked up in their recommendation. It's looking into what they've termed as selling, that you know, the, the agent selling uh, and so in the process of marketing, this has not been highlighted. And they're talking about having a standard documentation for that now. We also spoke to Harry Scoffin, who is a leasehold campaigner. Um, he's been campaigning for many years for better... Um, conditions and possibly uh, changes to the law and um, this is what we discussed i think when you speak to just any old person when they think they're buying a flat they're buying it but they don't yeah. actually realize the legal technicalities that you have bought a tenancy and even saying that is a bit of a contradiction because you don't really own a tenancy in the private rented sector sure. so what makes you think you own it in in leasehold Basically, all you bought is the right to live in a property for a certain number of years, and you have certain rights allocated to that, but it's not property ownership, it's not home ownership. And the problem is developers, even estate agents, they're not that clear about what leasehold products mean. And I think that's a huge issue because, you know... This is a mis-selling bit element of it, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing. You live abroad or you do whatever, and you think when you're buying a flat, you own it outright. And you think, yeah. oh, so, and the state agents will say, oh, it's 999 years. You know, they'll, the developers will never write this down, but it's as good as owning it outright. But the thing yeah. is, it's still glorified tenancy. You've yeah, still got yeah. a landlord that has control over your home life and your financial security in a way. And what's really interesting, because I was at this professionalism and property conference last week, 
Yeah, and it was yeah. pretty big of these guys to invite us and, you know, more of a consumer-facing groups to the, you know, professional, yeah. you know, sort of uh, event. But they all seem to have a bit of the fear of God in them because they've worked out. And, you know, before the minister came on, Heather Wheeler, they were saying this, the proposed leasehold reforms amount to the biggest shake-up of landlords since 1925 with the Property of Law Act. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Property of Law Act. And I think leasehold, my own personal view, is that it's not going to survive the age of the empowered consumer. You're paying hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions, for basically yeah. what is a tenancy agreement. And actually, yeah. you're sinking all your money into something that you cannot guarantee is going to appreciate either. I, I, I think one thing I would like to see happening is that um, the various agencies of the government actually start to lead the pack. I mean, and two entities I have in mind really, first of all, Homes England, who provide an awful lot of funding to big and smaller developers to build out developments. I mean, personally, I think they should be making a condition of any funding that the developers are either selling freehold or common hold. Um, and if they want to do leasehold, then possibly then at a notional rent, but we come back to this issue we talked about of costs. Uh, but you know, that would be a very quick win. Um, and also the, the, the pledge uh, which James Rockenshire announced from, um, it's probably about 50 uh, companies in, in the property industry. I can't readily see more than one or two housing associations. And, and this, these are organisations who are there to provide affordable housing, social housing. Um, and they have started becoming, some of them have started becoming developers because of the reductions in funding. Um, I don't know what they're doing. I would like to think that they are not using these leasehold devices to charge higher rents. But I would like to see the opposite, which is that they are leading the field and they are announcing that they are not doing it. Um, to try and shame some of the other developers into making similar announcements, because certainly the pledge they've made to date is is a pretty weak one, and it's not saying they're going to stop altogether. They're just saying they're not going to charge such high rents, um, and that they will let people change from a doubling rent to a fixed rent, which is RPI'd. But and forgive me if I've missed something, but what about if the government was to say? stop propping up the market by, in the leasehold market anyway, by saying no help to buy on leasehold properties, for example. Um, Absolutely. You're taking the words out of my mouth. <laughs> that, that, that was the next one. Help, help to buy is, uh, I mean, help to buy, and you will see that very much on Twitter, that people are saying, well, you know, the government have actually given me the money to put me in this situation. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, help to buy should be limited you know, to its freehold, its common hold, or leasehold at a notional rent. Um, yeah, absolutely. I guess, what does that say about the government's competency that we actually have faith that they'll oh. sort this out, basically? And I think, I forget what the numbers are, but I think it's something like 43% of all houses which have been bought in the last year are with help to buy. Mm -hmm. And if you consider that help to buy is down at the lower end of the market, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's probably very much disproportionate. It is more than 43% of leaseholds, wouldn't surprise mm -hmm. me, are bought with help to buy money. Mm -hmm. So realistically, 
what do you think will happen, given given what you've experienced of what people are saying and what you've read from the government's response to it, and what you think is realistic, I guess? Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to happen quickly, I think. Yeah. Um, partly because the government seems to have something else on its mind at the moment. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, you know, it's such a difficult issue. If you had a clean sheet of paper, it would be easy. Um, they've got to tidy up and make common whole better before introducing that, so that's a delay in time. Um, they've got to make sure they don't lock existing people into it. Um, I would like, personally, I would like them to come forward with the legislation very quickly to cap the rents that can be imposed on a new leasehold, as I think that can be done without prejudicing existing leaseholders and starting to sort out the future. Mm. Um, start divesting from it if they see that there's going to be a cap, or is that what you, mm. you imagine? Not really. I certainly the House of Commons Committee were talking about a maximum of £250 or, or 0.1% of the capital value of the property, depending on which is the lower. Um, which is a big difference to the uh, doubling rent yeah, going yes. up to 12,800 yeah, over a lifetime. Absolutely. And, and making the process simpler as well. So at the moment there are two systems for leasehold, for lease extensions and for freehold enfranchisement, depending whether you've got a house or a flat. Mm. There are proposals by the Law Commission to have one simple process yep. and looking at whether you um, have a lease extension or you reduce the ground rent. Um, I think yeah, that absolutely needs to be a cap on ground rents, service charge as well, with the reasonless there. Um, and, and whatever legislation comes in, it's whether it's prospective and retrospective. And again, the compensation for freeholders, how's that going to work for these ground rents if they are um, reduced? I think another possible quick win uh, because you, you get planning permission for uh, development. Yeah, if you've got a sizable number of houses, then you've got to provide affordable housing. Um, it seems to me, and, and you have as part of the planning process, there's an agreement with the local planning authority to provide those houses and what type they are, social rented, affordable, etc. It would be nice to see the government enable local planning authorities to be able to stipulate the tenure of those affordable houses so that they can say they will be freehold or they will be common hold. Um, because yeah, if you have 40% of the houses on the development within, within a, a common hold or whatever, it's going to be very difficult for the open market houses to be on a different structure. Not impossible, but it's just going to make it that much more difficult for developers and they'll be a bit more inclined to go to embrace the common hold and go, okay, we'll make the whole thing common hold. So I think that would be a, just a very subtle thing, but I think that could have quite a disproportionate effect. And that may also help with existing leasehold properties where people think, I want, I've seen common hold work over there, we'd like to convert ours to common hold, and that could in turn just act as a catalyst for mm. a greater number of common holds coming mm. about. Mm. So... Well, that was a very interesting conversation. I mean, it certainly seems from what we've learned there that actually, um, you know, leasehold isn't necessarily always a bad thing. It's about who's who holds the the freehold on, sure. on the leasehold land, I guess. Yeah, I suppose it needs a bit of fairness in it so that 
you know, the, the, the house builders aren't profiting twice out of the same transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly got my attention. I'm, I'm certainly more interested about it now. Yeah. Cool. So um, this uh, podcast has been hosted by me, Ed Wilson, and Steve Wake. Um, it's been produced by uh, Rob Wells, and the music was done by Sam Page. <laughs>